The more a person sins, the tinier God and his commandments become in his thinking. The deeper a person goes into sin, the less he's affected by biblical admonitions about sin. Men try to cheat themselves into the belief that sin is not quite so sinful as God says it is, and that they are not so bad as they really are. Sexual sin is a liar, and that's the plain truth of it. It makes promises it cannot keep and will let you down and disappoint every time. Today we're beginning a new series based on a series of teachings by Steve Gallagher called 20 Truths That Helped Me in My Battle with Porn Addiction. One of these insightful biblical teachings will be featured as a segment in each new episode. We're really praying that God will use this series here and on YouTube to walk men into freedom and impact souls for his kingdom. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Jim Lewis. This is Purity for Life. In his book, At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry, Pastor Steve Gallagher writes, Those who become bound up in habitual sexual sin, even if it's no more than masturbation or pornography, are actually addicted to a complex chain of actions. It all begins with temptation, moves into a person's particular routine, peaks in the actual act itself, it ends with the lingering, inevitable consequences. Compelling the person through this entire sequence of events is a driving lust. Thus, he is not merely hooked on the act itself, but on the whole unfolding drama. The book of James reveals this process of sin from a spiritual perspective. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. James reveals four distinct stages in the process of sin. Allow me to describe these for you so you can understand what's going on inside you when you're tempted and when you fail. The first stage in the process of sin is desire. You have the desire for sin lying latent in your own heart. It's part of your spiritual DNA. It is your desire. Therefore, you must recognize it, own it, take responsibility for it, and not blame anyone else for it. Notice in the scripture the words, his own lust. That says it perfectly. It's your own lust your own desire that causes you to sin. If you didn't desire it, 
you wouldn't do it. No one outside of you is forcing you. The compulsion to sin comes from inside you. Jesus said so in Matthew 15, 19 and 20, and here James agrees. It's not the devil's fault. It's not someone else's fault. It's certainly not God's fault. The desire comes from your own heart. Notice the words carried away and enticed. The first word is a hunter's term that means to be ensnared in a trap. The second word is a fisherman's term that means to be lured by bait. Satan knows what your flesh wants. He knows what you've fallen prey to before. He chooses the bait that you find attractive. Now, if I offered one of my friends some cocaine, the opportunity to get high right now, he might respond with great nervousness. He sees the powder. He remembers the high. He starts to twitch. His mouth waters. He wants it. I make the same offer to another friend, and there's a totally different response. This friend has never taken drugs of any kind. It has absolutely no desire to start now, and so he rejects it out of hand. The lust lies within us. We are tempted when we want it. We are not tempted if we don't. Now, the second stage in the process is deception. We believe the lies that we tell ourselves in order to give ourselves permission to move further. That is why James said very plainly, do not be deceived. Deception is always part of the process. Now, what are some of the many lies that are part of the temptation to sexual sin? Well, they usually go something like this. Just this once. No one will know. What they don't know won't hurt them. I deserve this. I can stop any time. God is still blessing me, so I can't be all that bad. I can always ask for forgiveness later. The biggest lie, of course, is that a holy God is not offended or that he's not right there watching the whole sordid episode, providing the way of escape that you're not taking. Temptation always looks good on the outside. That's part of the deception. Not only have we been deceived in the past, but we continue to deceive ourselves. After we've been in sexual sin for a while, we know where it leads. We know the emptiness of the lie. We know the inevitable feelings of guilt, recrimination, condemnation. We know the end of the affair. But we lie to ourselves again, pretend that we don't remember and head right back down the same spiral of degradation one more time. The third step is disobedience. 
Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. What begins in your imagination results in action. It starts in your mind but moves into behavior. What you flirt with, you will fall for. The best example from Scripture is King David. Having spied a woman bathing, he desired her. But if at that point he had turned his heart toward the Lord, confessed his desire as an offense against the holy God, it all would have been over in a moment. But he didn't do that. He inquired about her. He was told she was a married woman. He was told who she was, and he knew her husband and her father and her grandfather. Imagine the lies that he had to tell himself at this point to make it okay. He invited her over and took her to his chamber. The evil fantasy that was conceived in his heart gave birth to sin in his behavior. It always does. And it only got worse from there. It eventually ended in death. And death is the fourth step. The inevitable result is always death. It was death for Adam and Eve. It was death for David. And it is death for us. Every time. It is death to our conscience, death to our sanctification, death to our relationship with God. Every time we die, just a little more. And eventually, if we stay that way, it will be spiritual death forever. The stakes are that high. Allow me to take you to the verse just ahead of our passage in James 1.12. He writes, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, testing, temptation. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James is telling us throughout this passage that temptation and trial will come upon us often and in various forms. If we endure and persevere, we receive the crown of life. But if we fail, give in to the flesh, pursue the sin, we receive death. Life or death, the choice is always ours to make. It is beyond the scope of this brief talk to describe the victory over temptation and sin that we'll cover in subsequent episodes. My purpose today is only to describe the process of sin. I do, however, want to leave you with one great word of encouragement found in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Jesus called Satan 
a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. He tempted Eve by lying to her. Paul constantly warns his readers to watch out for deception and not to deceive themselves. The writer to the Hebrews speaks about being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every time someone falls into temptation, every time someone sins, they have believed a lie about God, about themselves, or about something God has said. Lies and sins are identical twins, and you never find one without the other. In this next segment from the 20 Truths That Helped Me in My Battle with Porn Addiction series, Steve Gallagher exposes the lies we believe that allow us to stay in our sin and how seeking the truth will set us free. I came to the Lord when I was 16 years old. I eventually backslid because I believed the lie that I could not walk in victory over sexual temptation. When I backslid, I plunged into great spiritual darkness. The further away from God I got in my sin, the more deceived I became about everything in life. I was a mess. The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of sin. And I need to tell you that you cannot be involved in ongoing sin without being deceived. And when I say deceived, I mean deceived about a lot of things. Romans 1 is a perfect picture of my life of sin. It says that these people who were so driven by sexual lust that they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness and exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I didn't understand this at the time, but that describes the state of mind I was in when I was in my sin. When we give over to sin, we are in a very real way fellowshipping with demonic entities. Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies and that there is no truth in him. These spiritual beings bring their atmosphere of deception into our lives and it taints all of our perceptions in life. I was very deceived and believed many falsehoods about God, about other people, and most of all, about myself. In spite of my utter confusion in life, I had a ridiculous amount of confidence that I had a handle on the truth. I was absolutely clueless as to how deceived I was. So the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to just acknowledge to yourself that sin has probably affected your grasp of truth more than you have realized. You will never really come into truth until you can see the lies that you have bought into. Let me share a few untruths that I bought into when I was in that terrible period of spiritual darkness. The first lie I believed was that pornography, masturbation, and hooking up with girls would be awesome experiences. And it is true that sin is pleasurable for a season, but as you give over to sexual sin, each experience becomes a little less pleasurable, and before you know it, a lot of what you give over to is just because you're addicted to it. And that brings me to the second lie, that there are no lasting consequences attached to sin. Solomon said his own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin. I'll get into this more in the next session, but for now, let me just say that there are dreadful and long-lasting consequences that will be very difficult to get rid of. 
The third lie I bought into was that I was a godly guy with a little sin problem. In 1983, I was in Bible school and was so full of lust for girls in my class that I could hardly concentrate on what my instructors were teaching us. Many times I would leave school and go to an adult bookstore to act out and give over to my lust. And yet at the same time, I actually believed that I was walking with God. I thought the intensity of my personality meant I had this passionate love for the Lord. And of course, I wanted to believe the best about myself, so I convinced myself that I was on fire for God. But the truth was, only a few months after entering Bible school, I was already backslidden in my heart. The idea that I was living a godly life is ludicrous to me as I look back upon it now. The truth was that I was a hypocrite, putting out an image of being a godly young man while living in habitual sexual sin and secret. The fourth lie I accepted and believed was that my sexual sin wasn't that bad. This tendency to minimize the evil nature of sin is common with anyone who gives himself over to sin. The more a person sins, the tinier God and his commandments become in his thinking. The deeper a person goes into sin, the less he's affected by biblical admonitions about sin. There are some very frightening warnings in scripture about those who practice sin. But it's incredible that a person can read those warnings and just sort of gloss over them as if they don't really mean what they say. Again, because God was so tiny in my mind, his warnings against sin didn't really affect me. Let me tell you something J.C. Ryle said about the deceitfulness of sin. He said, you may see this deceitfulness in the amazing proneness of men to regard sin as less sinful and dangerous than it is in the sight of God and in their readiness to extenuate it, make excuses for it, and minimize its guilt. Men try to cheat themselves into the belief that sin is not quite so sinful as God says it is, and that they are not so bad as they really are. The fifth lie I'll mention was that other people were the cause of my problems. For instance, because I was so domineering and manipulative with my wife, every time she attempted to talk to me about my sinful life, I would find a way to somehow turn it around and make her feel as though she was the cause of my problems. And if it wasn't them, then I would blame God for making me the way that I was. And on and on it went, deceiving and being deceived. Maybe you can relate to some of the things I dealt with, but I have good news. God can turn everything around for you just like he did for me. David said, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. If you will begin to call upon the Lord to expose the lies of the enemy that you have bought into, and to bring you into the truth about yourself and your situation, he will surely answer your prayer. Start calling out to him today. Historically, sexual sin has been thought of as being a man's problem. But current statistics show that more and more women are looking at porn. Teen girls are sending texts with explicit photos. Married women are having affairs, all within the church. 
They too have to believe lies in order to continue in these sins. Joined in the studio today by Kathy Gallagher, who is co-founder of Pure Life Ministries with her husband, Steve Gallagher, and who was for many years director of our WISE program. She's the author of When His Secret Sin Breaks Your Heart, and more to the point today, Created Me a Pure Heart, Answers for Struggling Women. Kathy, it's good to have you here. Thank you, Jim. It's good to be here. Kathy, you literally wrote the book on women who struggle with pornography and sexual sin. We've invited you here today to talk about and hopefully talk to women who struggle with the cruel lies of sexual sin. Steve Gallagher has written extensively about the fact that sexual sin is a liar. All sin involves deception and lies, but sexual sin is particularly deceptive. We constantly believe things about the sin that just aren't true. Sexual sinners are liars because they conceal and lie about their activities, and we have to believe a pack of lies just to behave this way. Do you agree? Yes, absolutely. Sin and deception seem to run hand in hand. Now, I want to set up this interview by telling our listeners a few facts. The Religious News Service ran a recent article that made these claims. Young Americans do not think of pornography as a negative thing. When they speak about pornography with their friends, 90% of teens, 13 to 17, and 96% of young adults, 18 to 24, say that they speak about pornography in a neutral, accepting way, an encouraging way. And only 1 in 20 young adults and 1 in 10 teens say that their friends think viewing pornography is a bad thing. Teens and young adults say that not recycling is more immoral than viewing pornography. Most teens are sexting. 66% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit image via text, and 41% have sent one. More girls than boys have sent explicit images, which may mean that young males are the ones pressuring their female friends to take off their clothes. Porn is not just a male matter anymore. While men have traditionally consumed porn at a much higher rate than women, it appears that females, and particularly younger ones, are starting to catch up. 33% of women ages 13 to 24 seek out porn at least once a month. So let's talk about the lies that the porn industry wants young women to believe. What does the viewing of pornography by men and now also by women teach women about their value as a person? It used to be that a person was judged by the content of their character, but that's long gone. How does a man value a woman, and how does a woman now value herself? Yeah, the whole porn industry. You know, okay, so the I guess the first thing I would like to say, Jim, about what has happened mm -hmm. that these young girls it just it's heartbreaking actually that these young girls are so into pornography and the first thing that comes to my mind is it's a digital world now yeah it's an internet world right and that whole thing has given has put within reach of everybody unrestrained perversion mm -hmm. and that i believe is 
what has been unleashed in this nation back in the 90s when pornography just became so accessible to men. And men obviously were the ones that we were concerned about because right. they were the, cons- the consumers of it. But now, over the last few decades, these young girls are coming into it. And I think for a young girl to go that path, for one thing, she has easy access to it as well. But there is a lot of pressure on girls to perform, so to speak, or to be. I remember when I was a teenager in junior high, how the the pressure was incredible. And it wasn't coming from boys necessarily. It was coming from girls. Really? Yeah, there was a lot of pressure that girls were putting on each other and one-upping each other and having the best clothes or the best hair or the whole makeup thing. And so there was just this nasty, competitive spirit amongst girls. I think Mm -hmm. that's been there for probably eons. But so you introduce into that mindset of these young girls who are so competitive with one another, incredibly competitive with one another, to the point of just... Yeah, it's it's really bad. So then you put in their hands this digital world, mm-hmm. and it, they go crazy. They are going crazy. Everybody is. Everybody's addicted now. I know I'm saying that a blanket statement. Not everybody, but a lot of people are sure. very addicted to it. And so you put in their hands the ability to peruse what is going to make me better, what's going to make me prettier what's going to make me win my competitors and you enter into that world that perverted world that pornographic world and then of course you you get into a certain age 14 15 you start looking for attention from guys right and so you've got this combination of the competition with other girls and then you've got the pressure of puberty and wanting to be noticed by guys pornography comes very very easy it's right there. It's at your fingertips. And somehow we learn as girls what guys want. I remember as a young girl, I remember knowing almost instinctively that I needed to be sexy. I don't know. I didn't know what sexy meant, mm-hmm. but I knew what guys were after. Right. And, you know, everybody has their limits. Everybody has their degrees. I wasn't overt, but I knew I knew how to get attention. Well, now, if I would have had the ability to get into pornography and see what it actually was that guys wanted, it would be just overwhelming. And I believe that's where we're at. Girls, young girls, have these kids are raised on the Internet. They don't right. know what life is like without it. Mm-hmm. So I just think that that is what is fueling, not to mention the spirit that has been unleashed in this nation, Right, God giving a nation over to what it has obviously shown that we want as a nation. So young girls hit 13, 14, 15 years old, and they're looking for attention from guys. And these 14, 15, 16-year-old guys have been looking at porn for 10 years hmm. on their phones, and they know what they want. And the pressure then is for the girl to give the guy what he is given over to. You know, it's every child who has come into puberty for centuries has struggled with the same things, mm-hmm. the same physical, physiological issues, and the same emotional trauma <laughs> that is the hormonal raging 
Um, it's different for girls than it is for boys, but it's still very hormonal. And so this has been going on who knows how long. I don't understand all of the dynamics, but all those things have been in place for a long, long time in the in the young human physiology mm-hmm. and, and mentality. Well, if you take that those physical dynamics and place it into a 21st century America and give them that kind of access, I don't know anybody that could not give over to it and be taken by it. it right. They are being taken. Yes. And it's horrific what's happening. And of course, your body... When you're that age and you're, I don't know how many people listening would are relating to what it was like to be a young teen coming into puberty, and you, but you're going crazy. You're just going absolutely bonkers, and you want to express yourself. You want, you want your mom and dad to go away so you can do what you want to do. You're tired right. of the restraints. You're tired of them telling you how to live your life. You're tired of all this stuff, and so you go down that path, and you start going after the things that that you want, but that you think other people want you to be. And a lot of people are very impressionable. A lot of young girls are very impressionable and they want, they want to either follow or lead. And so you've got leaders who are going for it, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're going to, they're going to just do what they want to do. And then you've got the followers who don't want to be left behind. And so they're going to follow those leaders and they're just getting, they're being taken by a spirit, but they don't see it because their flesh loves it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what a mess. Yeah. The porn industry and our sexualized culture in general, what does it teach women about the importance of sex in life? It strips the act of sexual intimacy of any sacredness Mm. it strips it of any real value their mindset and their idea of value is how many guys can i get how many girls can i get how much sex can i have how wanted can i be how much more given over to they won't call it perversion, but that's exactly what it is. How much more perversion can I give myself over to? The porn industry has exploited to the max what is in each one of us. Sure. They have absolutely exploited it, and there's no pushback anymore. Mm-hmm. There used to be. There used to be a societal boundary, and you just did not cross that line. That's gone. And so the the porn industry hardly has to really lift a finger in a certain way because people are just following the stream of perversion. There's no pushback. There's no stopping it. And kids are just given over to it. That's why that one statistic, I can't remember what the numbers are, but it's ridiculous how many um, young girls are seeking after pornography at least once a month. My guess is they're probably doing a whole lot more than that. Right. You know, because they have access. It's not like it's a casual browse on Instagram. Pornography 
hooks you. Whether you're a boy or a girl, it hooks you. There's a fascination with it. It's like your heart races, your palms are sweaty, and you're looking at this stuff. Maybe for a girl, she won't get addicted, but she'll keep looking because her motivation to be into pornography is vastly different than a guy's. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that's true. Now, I'm almost 60 years old and things may have changed, but I I think that girls are find, trying to find out what is expected of them, and they can do that through pornography. How kinky can I get? How much more, um, again, I think the competitive thing comes in, wanting to be the best at everything, wanting to be the most sexy, wanting to be the most erotic, wanting to be the most of whatever, and learning how to, quote unquote, have sex with my boyfriend. It's It's like a teaching aid for them. So it's very distressing. And it feels somewhat hopeless because of what the internet has done and how the enemy has just masterfully, masterfully grabbed generations now of young people. Kathy, you referenced again the statistic, and and it is that 33% of women ages 13 to 24 watch porn at least once a month. Now, what do you think that young girls watching porn think about the women who are in the porn industries? I mean, there's some serious lies and propaganda concerning uh, where these girls come from and the quality of their lives. The thing I believe that gets these girls going down that path is some of the things I've already mentioned. The competition, the desire to be admired is huge for girls, but money is a big deal why a girl would get into pornography in the porn industry, Mm -hmm. actually producing movies, because there's money to be made. I don't think it's a lot of money anymore because they're they're lining up to get into it. But girls in the porn industry, my guess is it's probably exhilarating at first because you're getting a lot of attention and a lot of grooming and a lot of, you know, yeah, a lot of attention. But I have a feeling that it gets old really quick when you have to do what they want you to do and act like you're enjoying it that's all it is it's an act and they can't possibly be enjoying themselves god did not create us that way so you have to go against nature to live that kind of a life and you have to push back on something that god put into everybody and that is a knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. You have to push that back. Right. You have to do a lot of mental gyrations to get yourself to go that path. And I said earlier, I was talking about the leaders and the followers. Sure. I, my guess is a lot of the girls in the industry are leaders. They're, they're not afraid. Once they get past a certain, there's a threshold of fear and questioning. But once they push past that, they will go for it. But I, you know, I know people, I have friends that were in the industry, strippers mostly, and their stories tell it all. Yeah, what I said is true. It's fun at first. It's not fun after a little while because you were not created for that. That's not what God created you for. And the devaluation of who you are as a person is so palpable. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, even though you're getting what every girl wants from the time she's 10 years old to be loved, accepted, and thought of as beautiful, 
she's getting all that now and she hates herself and they can act like starlets they can act like celebrities but god knows the inside world very very well and they probably do too and it's a miserable miserable existence because god did not create her for this well, I appreciate you bringing the scripture in and talking about God's creation and, and how he made us. And you mentioned the suppression of truth. And, and Paul said in Romans 1 that when men began to dishonor God and suppress the truth, he gave them over yep. to sin and particularly to sexual sin, yep. to pursue what they wanted. Yep. It's a judgment. That's ultimately when God gives you over, that's judgment. And that's where we're at in this nation. Mm. And we're not done yet. And it just grieves me, grieves me, grieves me. How far do we have to go? How many children have to be sacrificed on the altar of perversion before we will repent? There are always consequences, always. And there's a price that has to be paid. The wages of sin is death. Yeah. Well, one of the lies that the porn industry uh, teaches men and women is that there's nothing sacred about sex. Mm -hmm. And so I would just like you to give us the other side. What does the scripture say about the nature of sex? Where does it belong? How does God regard it? And what is it in his plan? His plan was for one man and one woman. It's clear from the Garden of Eden. He put man and woman together. She was created for him. And there's a lot in the scriptures. I mean, we could sit here and do a Bible class on it, which I won't do. But if you do study it with an honest and open heart, you will see that God's plan for sex was for procreation, mm -hmm. but also for tremendous intimacy that you cannot find anywhere else besides between a man and a woman who are married, who are one. And this, I can talk about my own marriage and the intimacy and what it is compared to take the love and the affection and the devotion and the vulnerability that is part of the act of making love. Mm -hmm. um, there is such union. There is such oneness through that act. You take that and try to do that outside of marriage, you don't know what I'm talking about. Right. You will never know what I'm talking about. Um, you can say just because you've had sex, and the scriptures do say if you make yourself one with a heart, if you have sex with a harlot, you've made yourself one That's with right. her. So that dynamic is definitely there. You are joining yourself on every level with another person, but without what I'm describing that happens between a man and a woman. And it is, in God's eyes, sacred, mm -hmm. special, beautiful. And it's, well, you know, I've been around the block a few times, and I'll tell you, there's nothing as exhilarating for us as a couple than to be together. All right. And I'm comparing that to some of the garbage that we have been in. Both been through. Yeah. yeah. So I'm speaking from experience. I'm not an old prude or fuddy-dud who doesn't know what I'm talking about. I've been around the block, and I know what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. and there's nothing that you can compare to that kind of intimacy. And people, you can't have it outside of the way God created it. Right. Man, woman, united together in covenant. And I mean covenant. I'm not talking about contracts. I'm talking about covenants, and that is the difference. 
There's a very common lie that belongs not just to the porn industry, but to the entire entertainment industry and the sexual revolution since the 60s. But it's promoted by the porn industry as well. What does porn teach women about the nature of sexual expression? Well, the idea that I guess probably one of the things that they would say is that it's liberating, and that is a lie. That is an absolute lie. That is insane to tell somebody if you absolutely give over to every desire of your carnal flesh to give yourself unrestrained that you are liberated, Mm -hmm. that you are free that you are expressing yourself and that you are just woman of the world. What a bunch of, it's just such a (laughs) lie. It is such a lie. Again, there are consequences to that lifestyle, whether you believe in God or not. There are laws in the universe that exist. Mm -hmm. There is the law of sowing and reaping. There is the law of gravity. And those things are there, like it or not. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. That's right. Ultimately, that's what it will take you to. And that is in the scriptures, but it's not just in the scriptures. It is in life. That's right. Whatever you sow, you are going to reap a fruit from that seed, whatever you're giving it to. And so this whole idea that you're free, you can be an unrestrained sexual addict, you can be um, unrestrained in your prescription drug addiction, you can be unrestrained in your alcoholism, you can be unrestrained in your entertainment craved desire. You can give over to all that, but there is payday coming. Sure. Whether you're a Christian or not, Mm -hmm. they're just, there's... Again, the law of sowing and reaping is in place. Both Peter and Paul basically say the same thing, that you are a slave to whatever controls you. That's right. And whatever you give yourself over to, you become its servant. Now, that's that's a wonderful thing, that if you give yourself over to the lordship of Christ, you get to serve him your whole life. But a great many of us don't give ourselves over to the lordship of Christ. Mm -mm. No, we're given over to self-will. And so there is fallout from that. A lot of fallout, mm-hmm. self-will, self-absorption, is that is not freedom. That is slavery, mm-hmm. absolute slavery. And it takes a great deal of faith to believe that if you walk humbly and uprightly before God, that he will bless you and you will be blessed in your sitting down and your rising up and your going out and your coming in, that you will be blessed. Read Deuteronomy 28. The Mm. curses and the blessings, Mm -hmm. those things are real. And you see it not only in your life, but you see it in society. You see it in the world. It is a principle and a truth. Well, in so many ways, we've already said this, but as we wrap up today, let's look at the biggest lie of all. And this is the lie that condemns untold millions of people to misery in this life and to hell in the next. Mm. Tell us about the consequences of sexual sin. I live with, we all here at Pure Life Ministries live with the daily reality of the consequences of right. sexual sin. Right. It, we swim in it mm-hmm. every day, all day long. That is what we're doing here. We're listening to the stories, the testimonies, the just untold pain and misery of wives, of children, of men 
right. who are so given over to it. And the consequences are innumerable. Just where do you even begin? It's what starts out as an exhilarating, thrilling adventure right. ends up being an absolute train wreck all through life. But you're so addicted and so enchained to it. You can't see that there's ever any hope of getting free of it. It's hard for men. This is the thing that just breaks my heart about our students that are here in the residential program. So many of them, they're here and they want to be free. But a lot of them don't believe that freedom is possible. Yeah. Because they are, they're looking at who they are. Mm-hmm. And yeah. If you look there and and you keep obeying yourself, you yeah, that's pretty hopeless. But there is one who came to deliver us from the bondage of sin. That is why Jesus came. So getting your eyes on him. And, you know, I, I almost don't like to say that because that is such an elusive statement. What does that mean? Get your eyes on Jesus. That means get into the word of God and find out who he really is. What we've been saying is that the porn industry, the entertainment industry, our sexualized culture are just telling us a bunch of lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you and I both know that the more you believe a lie, the more you're enslaved to it, the more bound up you are. And so if believing lies binds us and makes us slave, then finish up today by telling us what happens when we begin to believe the truth. It's a very interesting dynamic that God gives to us in the Word of God that if we will get into his word with a heart of faith and belief, we will be conformed into his image, that our minds will be renewed day by day by spending time in his word. And God comes in to the repentant one and gives the Holy Spirit, which is power to break free. Mm-hmm. of the bondage of the lies, because those lies don't just go away when you get saved. Right. They they hang on. They follow. And the enemy is a, just a devil. <laughs> he is. He's just—and he will keep torturing you. He will keep lying to you. But I, my, my promise is, and the promise of the Word of God is, that he will and does change us. Mm-hmm. He makes us new creatures in Christ. We become new people. Yeah, we fell, but there is a place now for the one who was once enslaved to go and continue to feed on freedom. And it's in his word. It's spending time. This is why we harp all the time at Pure Life Ministries for people to get into the word of God, to have a prayer life. Because there is, even though it doesn't feel like anything is happening, something is happening in the unseen realm. Just like in when you are giving over to pornography and sin and other things, something is happening inside of you. Sure. It's there is something going on. You are being transformed. You are being conformed to something. The same dynamic is true when you give yourself to God. When you surrender, when you are repentant and believing and following and trusting, you are being conformed. God is changing you from the inside out. You just have to be patient and believe. But he's doing it. And there's testimonies all over this place of that very thing. All of us are being transformed and renewed day by day. 
Thank you so much for being here today. You've given us a lot to think about, and I think our listeners will be blessed by our conversation today. I hope so. Thank you, Jim. There are three times when Paul writes the words, do not be deceived to his churches, and one time when James uses those words. The three times Paul used the expression are these, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, 1 Corinthians 6. Do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals, 1 Corinthians 15. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this will he reap. It doesn't surprise us that whenever men are warned not to be deceived, the result of the deception will always be sin against God. I've already mentioned that James warns us not to be deceived in the context of the process of sin. From desire to deception, from disobedience to death, but where there is truth, the truth about God, the truth from God's word, and the truth that became flesh and dwelt among us, the truth of the person of Christ, who himself said, I am the truth. You shall know the truth, he said, and the truth shall set you free. Thanks for listening. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.